This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to Bitter Units, a beer podcast hosted by the TailgateSociety.com. Uh, well, you haven't heard from us for a while. There are various reasons why you haven't heard from us. None of them very legitimate. We're just not very good at what we do. <laughs> that's, um, that's fair. So, you know, deal with it, as they say. Um, we are absent a member tonight. JT is not with us. Um, but the man who firmly believes that punting is winning, Tim Johnson, is with us. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we're here just before football season is starting, so that was my football reference for the day. Sports! Sports talk. Sports ball. <laughs> Are you guys in the SEC yet, or what's going on there? Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I don't, I don't believe that's the case. Um, and fuck that noise. Um, so, anywho, as you heard there, we have a guest. Um, I think we just might end the podcast there, though, today, because that's some bullshit. <laughs> Start introducing yourself. Um, but, uh, Tim, tell us who the fuck you brought on the pod. Yeah. You know, one of the challenges as we come out of COVID and we're in the middle of beer festival season, uh, it has been difficult to find people from breweries that are available to talk and willing to talk and able to talk and all of those things. Um, but one person that I have known for. Ah, uh, shit. I don't know. A decade at least. We used to do at home. Least. Yeah, we used to do home brewing and, and all of that stuff back when I lived in Northeast Minneapolis. Um, this is someone who actually I, he beat me to in the brewing industry, but we all we got into to going from from home to pro around the same time. Uh, but he went all the way in on on being a brewery owner and we will talk a lot about that uh he is no longer in the in, in the industry and we will talk a lot about that as well uh but my friend adam Schroger is on so adam welcome to bitter units thanks i appreciate it uh yeah i've uh, i've known tim for uh, a long time from the bar hopping days to the uh to the home brewing days to the uh Bar hopping days again, but uh, you know, uh, on an expense account sort of thing. So yeah, <laughs> and uh, and now he is brewing again. You know, a solid I don't know eight nine blocks from uh, where I live now. So so easy to run into him in the neighborhood again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam has ridden his scooter over to harass me uh, at work. We've met up a few times for beers here, and that's when I cornered him and. and and suckered him into coming on the pod. So uh, whether he likes it or not, that's what he has to deal with. Did that scooter got stolen two weeks ago, too. It's a bummer. I'm going to miss Nigel. Oh, no. <laughs> I that know. Sucks. I had that scooter for nine years. Somebody, somebody uh, yanked it. <laughs> people uh, are twats. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I had my own ordeal today. Did you see that today, Tim, that I posted in our Slack? No, I, I, I've been, I've been totally kind of off. Things so, are, yeah, things are goofy. I, so short story, I opened a package at my house today, and it was an Xbox. I did not order an Xbox. Oh. 
it came from GameStop. Uh-huh. So I called GameStop and said, why is this at my house? Had my name on it, the whole shebang. They said, well, you opened a credit account and ordered this. Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> so I've been dealing with that today. Uh, but what kind of criminal uses your social security number and stuff, opens an account, and then sends actually sends you the thing they're trying to steal? I mean, that seems like a real thoughtful criminal, if I've got to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I'm going to use this guy's home address and send this to him. I would have well, never known. Maybe he stole your identity for a whole lot more, and he felt so guilty about it. It's like, well, the least I can do is send him an Xbox. Well, they tried to order, I think, six of them, like $1,800 <laughs> worth. But So maybe he sent me one as a good-looking-out brother, you know, but I don't know. Um, it was interesting, to say the least, to to sort through all that and then sign up for credit agencies and you know, check and make sure there wasn't any other crazy crap on my credit today. So. So you keeping the Xbox or? No, I am taking it back like a responsible human being. I got a a shipping label sent to me from the people at GameStop, and I'm going to take it down to a local GameStop store and give it to them with the return shipping label and say, it's your problem now, bitches. Uh, Well, no, I. I think uh, they'll be happy. Uh, Their stock jumped back up again last week. So obviously they're doing something right. And by something, I mean appealing to the nerds on Reddit. But um, maybe that's, you know, that could be your gain. I don't know. I I was convinced that it was our friend at the Tailgate Society, Tammy. (laughs) <laughs> did it, trying to trying to boost sales before the quarterly uh, quarterly statement comes out, so that the stock would drive up after the quarterly earnings report. That does sound like a very Tammy thing because she <laughs> has been all about uh, she has been all about the stonks, and her and her her game stonk has has uh, been a source of pride for her over the last year for sure. That's right. That's uh, right. Uh, well, anyways, to recap people are twats uh, <laughs> in a lot of different ways but that's not what we're here to talk about we're here to talk about beer and whatnot um so adam tim gave a very long and drawn out and i didn't pay a lot of attention to it introduction to you um why don't you in a much more coherent way tell us kind of your journey uh, Get us started anyways. I'm sure there's a, a lot to talk All about. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I can do that. Uh, yeah. So in 2011, uh, a buddy of mine I played soccer with and I homebrewed with him. Uh, he actually got me into homebrewing when I had broken my ankle playing soccer. He was like, well, this is going to suck because you're not going to be able to do anything uh, outside for six months. So I'm going to bring you some homebrew stuff and we'll get you a new hobby instead. So uh, Todd got me uh, homebrewing, and um, he was in school in 2010 or 2011. I think it might have been 2010. He was going back for his MBA, and he had to come up with one of those. You know, like it's an entrepreneur class, and he has to come up with a, you know, a, uh, a fake company. You know, a hot dog stand at a mall, or, or you know, a, a dog grooming place. So his was a a small uh, neighborhood brewery, and so he asked me because we brewed together all the time, if I'd help him research, you know, what it would cost to uh, buy the equipment, what it would cost to get it installed, the permits and everything, so he could write an actual, like, legitimate business plan. Uh, and so, you know, we did that. Um, 
over that summer for the project. Uh, then the next spring or summer, he's like, you know what? Why don't we just do that? Like, we've done all the research. We've built the business plan. We've got, you know, all the information we need. We could, He's like, I think we could bootstrap it for uh, for a very small five to seven barrel brew house and brewery. You know, I, he's like, I think we could, you know, we could pretty much self-fund this or get just a few small investors. And uh, I thought he was crazy, but you know what? Like, I told myself I'm, I'm young enough to fail. Uh, and so, um, I was like, you know what, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's see if we can get this going. So we opened our doors January of 2013, I think it was. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and at the time, uh, they just changed some of the laws in Minnesota. Uh, unfortunately for us, and that we'll get into that later. We, we were, our business plan was based on the existing laws in Minnesota, not the new ones that were coming through. But uh, it made us the third or the second or third brewery in the neighborhood to open up. I think we were at the time the 21st or so in the state. Um, and so it was, uh, it, was, it was a really fun and exciting time to be in the Twin Cities in Minnesota because um, it was just about to every, I mean, the, the lightning was just about to catch in the bottle. And we were right there at the very leading edge of that. Yeah. So kind of what Adam's alluding to is up until... I think it was 2012 or 2013 when the Surly law passed. So up until then, in the in the state of Minnesota, you couldn't actually operate a, a tap room as a brewery. If you were a production brewery, you only sold beer um, off-prem. You couldn't do your own prem type of thing. Uh, you could you could, you know, give tours and give samples. But unless you were a brew pub, you could only sell to bars and liquor stores. Uh, and so once what has been colloquially known as the Surly Bill, since Surly was the main driver, along with some other breweries, but the main driver between, hey, we want to be able to open up destination tap rooms and all of that. Um, and that became a big catalyst for a complete change in the way that Minnesota viewed brewing brewing and breweries and um really caused the explosion so we went from you know 21 in uh the state when he opened up to 21 within like three miles of of where they opened up very quickly that would seem to make things difficult i would guess Adam, Adam, you're muted. Uh, I'm just, I'm just saying, yeah, that I, I was muttering to myself, yeah, that and other stuff. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, and how many times uh, since then have you gone? Damn it, Todd, why didn't you do uh, a uh, hot dog stand at the mall or a dog grooming place as your business plan? <laughs> you, you know, you know, for all of that. Well, so I mean, we'll, we'll skip right to the end of the story. Uh, we went out of business uh, after five years in 2018. Uh, you've never met somebody so uh, relieved and happy to go through bankruptcy as as you will with a guy like me. Um, it was it was very stressful at, towards the end, and uh, I mean we kind of we kind of like every mistake you could make, we made, um, and all of them with hindsight were pretty clear ones. Uh, 
to the point where I, you know, the Craft Brewers Conference is going to be here in May in Minneapolis, and I kind of want to give up and give a talk like, hey, you want your new brewery to fail? I'm going to give you eight pointers to get that, <laughs> make that happen for you. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, I mean, even now I'm seeing breweries that are in planning that depending on the the crowdfunding site they go through, you, some of them require a pretty deep level of like business plan and forecasting for people to be able to see before they're going to pony up their hard earned cash to help support. Uh, and I got to say, a lot of them really, really concern me. I think anyone who's trying to open up a brewery in the middle of a pandemic is a, a, a little clueless because we're not. And, you know, as much as we like to think we're over the hump, we're not over the hump yet. Uh, but a lot of people, because I, I think you had a lot of people who knew what they were doing and had the resources and the knowledge and the experience. Uh, but now it's really starting to trickle into people that just think, hey, I don't know what to do. Let's open up a brewery. And that really starts to scare me. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think we've kind of gone through, um, I mean, it seems crazy because it's only been, you know, 10, probably really 15 years since this like wave of craft brewing hit, you know, um, with, uh, you know, like Surly, I think opened in 2006 and, you know, they're kind of considered granddaddies, uh, especially in the Midwest. But, you know, like uh, you, you've kind of gone through this whole different wave of people. And it's I think it started with the uh, the homebrewers who wanted to make something because they couldn't get what they wanted. They couldn't get what they liked. Uh, they were only really able to get, you know, the macros and, you know, the, the yinglings, the Sam Adams, the shells, like uh, the anchors, like those, you know, this, the uh, the Sierra Nevadas and. There's nothing wrong with any of those, but you know that's that was that first wave of like 2005 to like 2000 or you know 2013, 14, and then you had the people who were like, oh, this is great business, I'm going to get on this, and I think now I feel like you, every time I meet somebody, he's like, yeah, we're about to open a brewery. I'm like, are you, are you 60? Like he's like, oh yeah, it'll be a great retirement job. I'm like, oh dog, I don't think you've ever shoveled out a mash tun before. It's not going to be. Yeah, I mean. I, I think about that all the time because I had I had you know ostensibly uh, retired from the the brewing game before I got back in and and I I don't know how many times I I come home and and like I'm literally soaking my feet in a tub full of Epsom salts like I don't think you know people realize how physically demanding even just some of the more mundane stuff. You know, even just, you know, filling and moving around kegs gets to be physically daunting, you know, or just milling in and lifting a 55 pound grain sack over and over in, into a mill and all of that other stuff. Yeah, or it, climbing a ladder and getting on top of a fermenter and, and scrubbing the top of it while you're you got the ladder cut. You definitely think you got it hooked up, and your boots are definitely wet, and there's soap running down. The it's side. All, yeah, it's all nice and precarious, and you're trying to reach in an awkward angle, and you've got a glycol line running above you, and and next thing you know, your shoulders are killing you, and you didn't realize you did any work, but it it yeah, it's 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 nuts. Uh, yeah, and so it's funny seeing those. Like I've I've, I've run into those, and like now that the you know post vaccination world and starting to run into people and just having random conversations and. It's like, oh yeah, I don't think 
I mean, I mean, we've all got a dream. I would love to have a, you know, a beach bar as a retirement gig, but you know, I'm going to serve, you know, drinks with cocktail umbrellas on them. I'm not going to, I'm not going to mill in. I'm not going to. <laughs> I want to bartend at a golf course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound just Me. about the perfect gig. Make walker pushes for seventy-year-old ladies and stuff, and <laughs> you know, drinks that nobody drinks anymore. Oh, oh so- Aaron, you're doing very well with that walker. Soco and sour. You bet I can make that. I, mean, <laughs> I haven't seen it since the '90s, but yeah, it's rock and roll. I, I, I'm sorry. Are you serving sophomore year at Iowa State, Tim? Is that <laughs> right? So. Uh, yeah, it would also help you, Tim, if when you're lifting 55 pound bags of stuff to dump in, if it wasn't half your body weight. Um, so you've, you've met me, you've seen me in person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would love it if it was, if it was half my body weight. Uh, um, I have a, a deceptive dad bod. Um, I may not be so pear shaped, but I completely lack the upper body strength. So I still get to be both fat and weak. Yes. (laughs) Uh, That was the one thing uh, that I do miss is the ability to just like curl 80 pounds without thinking about it because I'm picking up like a two thirds full keg. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially after COVID, and I just sat in a home office for a year and a half. I went to go, like, I think I went to go pick up a softball the other day, and I was like, "Oh my god, I can't do it!" <laughs> no, it it really is true. I was I was stocking the the tap room cooler the other day, and I was stacking kegs, and I was like, "Oh, that's 130 pounds that I picked up pretty effortlessly." Whereas when I first got back into this, you know, four months ago. It was like I was throwing my back out tying my shoes. So it it has helped to get me to at least be in some semblance of not completely decrepit. Sam, if it makes you feel any better, I once threw my back out uh, putting the tri-clamp fitting on the bottom of a fermenter cone. And I was basically stuck there until somebody could pull me out from under the fermenter. <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I don't doubt that. <laughs> So I, f- I feel your pain, or I did years ago. Not anymore. Why now I, I say, throw my yeah, back yeah. out walking up the stairs to water uh, my garden. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot! Um, so opened the brewery. I'm assuming when it opened, things went well for a while. Oh yeah, things were great at first. So when we first opened, we were in a uh, industrial part of Northeast Minneapolis. Um, we it was we were only going to do growlers because again at the time you know that law changed in in summer 2012 uh we were like okay well we've only got a five barrel brew house a couple 10 barrel fermenters we'll just concentrate on uh distributing to, to bars and um selling growlers on the weekends like wednesdays and saturdays uh and we quickly were at capacity you know the you know we're doing um english style ale so it's a pretty easy 14 to 16 day turnaround on most of those beers um you know we've got you know had a a old econoline 350 that we would deliver it with in the neighborhood and you know the suburbs of minneapolis uh and it it was great um again uh, we we definitely 
benefited from uh, not a lack of competition because even by because by then there was you know indeed dangerous man six one two was uh, is open even before we left uh, fair state and Bauhaus had opened up uh, so in the neighborhood there was definitely competition but uh, we were small enough and our and more importantly our overhead was low enough that we could really get away with this was kind of a part time gig for Todd and I. And our brewer, who uh, who uh, um, we had found because his wife was in the same MBA class that Todd had taken years earlier, and we'd come back to like give a talk to this MBA class about you know our experience. Um, and he was in brewing school at the time. She's like, she's like, I messaging him. She's like, you're not gonna believe what I'm seeing in front of me. These two guys are ready to go. They got all their funding. They got a business plan, and they just lost their brewer. So they all they need is a brewer. So uh, he was full time, but uh, Todd and I, you know, we work nights and weekends, uh, and it was great. Um, so we, we decided uh, we'd gotten the funding and the uh, investment to kind of go big time. Uh, and then the second mistake we made is we had concentrated on distribution only uh, in the small space, which is fine, uh, but we saw all the tap rooms popping up, and we thought that the better play would be to keep concentrating on distribution. Yeah, we'd have a tap room and yeah, it could be for sampling, especially to like bring bar managers in to taste, you know, what we're working on in the background. But we were really just going to concentrate on uh, distribution. We got this beautiful new like 7,000 square foot warehouse right off the highway in Northeast, but not like the neighborhood part of Northeast, like the very industrial part of Northeast. <laughs> Definitely very, very industrial. Like, so like, you know, when, when they launched, their launch party was at uh, the go-to neighborhood bar that Adam and I have spent 3 billion hours in, right? Like it was, it's, it's one of the go-to uh, both craft and dive bars in, in Northeast Minneapolis. Like it, 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 it completely in, in like is a microcosm of what Northeast Minneapolis is, is the bar that they launched in. So it, you know, entrenched in that neighborhood, but not directly in that neighborhood, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. Um, and that's, that's one thing I would say to anybody who's thinking about this, um, find your neighborhood first. Like if you're going to start a brewery, you're going to make so much more, so much of a better margin pulling that tap out of your own line than you are selling it to anybody else. You will never make more money than you will selling the beer you made on the other side of the keg wall. Um, and it's not that you should only do that, but that, uh, especially during like lean times, you know, during the, the Januaries and the Februaries when people don't go to bars in Minnesota or, which is another weird time, is the two weeks in August when the state fair is going on and nobody can sell a keg anywhere in the city. Yeah, uh, no, no shit. It's, it's a weird thing in the, <laughs> in the Twin Cities. But, like, that that neighborhood will sustain you. That neighborhood will keep you uh, afloat even when, you know, times are lean. And we did, we unfortunately didn't do that. I mean, it's it's tough if you think about it. If if you're selling a pint for five bucks in your tap room, you're getting that five dollars. But if you're selling it to a bar, you're not getting all of those five dollars. And if you sell it to a distributor who sells it to a bar, then you're definitely not getting all of those five dollars. So yeah, don't just rely on on your tap room because your growth potential is outside of your tap room. But the the money engine that really pays bills is from that high margin 
own premises sales. But again, to Adam's point, when they had started putting this business plan together, we didn't realize what that tap rooms would be a thing at all and then how big they would be. Well, honestly, I think maybe only Omar in this town realized like how big tap rooms are going to be in 2011 and 2012 because I don't think anybody really thought that until they did theirs and then Indeed came along and crushed in their tap room. And then Dangerous Man was just like, no, we're only going to do tap rooms and we will, you know, we, we will put more you know, kegs through the uh, through the fermenters than a lot of production breweries in the state do, and they only do tap rooms. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. That re- dangerous man really kind of flipped the script for a, a lot of us here in the state because we had we'd gotten used to okay, well, you're a production brewery or you're a brew pub, and a brew pub is you know what you're selling on site, but then you also can sell hard liquor and wine, and you can you know you sell food, and you're you're like a restaurant that brews its own beer essentially, right? Or you're a production brewery and it's really kind of going all out the door. And so then Omar and Surly had this side of, you know, thinking about breweries like Three Floyds and, you know, Stone and all these destination breweries and thinking about beer tourism and all of that. I don't think anyone, especially because of the pretty draconian beer laws that we had here in Minnesota at the that time. We still I have here. Still that we still have here. Yeah, yeah, that we still have for sure. Can't but I even mean, sell forties, you backwards sons of bitches. <laughs> but like it, just the 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 struggle is. I don't think anyone realized it was going to open up that much, and I, I don't. I mean, I I think a lot of people in the guild, even I mean, the guild wasn't huge at the time, but even at the time, I, I don't. I think they were optimistic, but they were uh, cautiously optimistic about what change was really going to happen. And I think people expected there to maybe be something in between, but then you get someone like a dangerous man who goes, no, we're not going to be a brew pub, but we're going to kind of operate in that model and that we don't care about putting our beer in a can and getting into the liquor store. We care about, Hey, we can just operate on a small scale that pushes through a shit ton of beer and serves the neighborhood and, really got on top of that hyper-localization that came out that I don't think we realized either uh, back in 2012, 2013, that it was going to be so hyper-local. Yeah, and I think another thing that they did, I, I remember when when Rob opened up Dangerous Man, I was like, is this, can, can this work? Like, I've never yeah. seen this before. I've never seen a brew, a tap room that was only a tap room, not a brew pub, and didn't, you know, didn't have, like, liquor to fall back on, or liquor and wine to fall back on, or food to fall back on. Um, and then yeah. the other thing that he did really well is uh, he, they're extremely good at knowing what's just around the corner for what beer drinkers want. And that's yeah, another that's thing that, that we... And I mean, definitely in hindsight, we, I think we started to realize this, you know, in the last, you know, in the last couple of years, but we loved English style beers. I love stouts. I love porters. Uh, give me a brown. Give me a red ale. Give me something warm and flat and I'll be happy, um, uh, you know, as can be. Uh, and we thought that, you know, that was just an unserved market. What it really was was an unwanted market. <laughs> so, uh, we, people used to come up to us all the time. They're like, you know what you remind me of? It was my favorite brew pub. It was called Sherlock's Home. And I'm like, yeah, but they went out yeah. of business. <laughs> yeah. But that's exactly it, right? So you have um, English style beers are the ones where all of the nerds come out and say that they love it. And I don't know how many brewers in this state will tell you. 
uh, that Sherlock's home was was one of their favorite places to ever go. And how many beer nerds will t- like if you have an English style beer on tap and you take it away, all the beer nerds will be really squeaky wheels and they'll be really loud about how you should bring that back. And then you bring that back and then you remember why you took it off tap in the first place because it didn't fucking sell. My last right, batch aged out because you bitches weren't buying it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because they'll drink one. They like it. They like the memory of it. It reminds them of the first time they went to England or to Ireland, uh, and it's a great memory. But you know, unless you have a larger population, uh, like it, it is a, it is something that I could make work in, like the Northeast. You know, like uh, that that has a larger that has a large enough population that you can survive on that. But but what we didn't do and we should have done better was, you know, what are the beer nerds drinking next? And I don't have to make. That's not all I have to make. But, you know, I got a good friend in this industry that says, like, I make the hazy stuff so I can to pay for the pills. Yeah. Uh, you know, because and and that's that was like another that was probably the third big mistake that we made is I, I should have, you know, I should have made the IPAs and I should have made what uh, what was selling the best just to pay for the fact that I want to keep a brown ale and I want to keep, uh, you know, a nitro milk stout on tap at all times. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's something I think every brewery struggles with now, especially every brewer. I, I don't know how many times I've, to, I've told people, man, if you want to make uh, only the beers that you love, then just stay a home brewer. Uh, because uh, your love and your integrity, like I, I have tried paying for my daughter's childcare in love and integrity. And they say, that's cute. We want money. Um, so, but it's difficult because, I mean, look at how many of us are making seltzers right now. It's not like, and I, I've come around to seltzers, but it's not like, boy, I got into this industry to be a seltzer maker, right? But man, if that's going to allow, if that seltzer is going to help me buy a new fermenter or, uh, you know, uh, upgrade or, some of my equipment, or allow you to make that beer with those Huel Melon hops that I really love. Right, uh, great beer. Certainly a slower mover than I was hoping it would be, but that beer turned out amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was a beer I had, it, and I texted Tim, and I was like, "What is this beer?" I was like, "I love this hop. I never see anybody using this hop." He's like, "Yeah, it's because it doesn't sell, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good." And we like we've tried three different ways to kind of rebrand that and figure out how to do it because people like Adam are exactly who we made that beer for. People like Adam like beers that apparently don't sell, which is why he doesn't sell beer anymore. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it sure sounds like Adam has a great plan and idea of how to make a brewery work now, though. So, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I would do a lot. I would do a lot of things different. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I was never. I was never so blind to think that like, oh, this, this is just, you, you just don't know what you like. You, you just can't express, you can't, you just can't appreciate good beer. I mean, it's, you know, at the, you know, at the time, once you've staked your reputation on a certain style of beer, trying to make a hard right and, you know, completely, I mean, 180 degree turn and try to like rebrand to something else also comes off as completely disingenuous to yeah. the beer drinking community. Yeah, I mean, we've we've certainly seen, seen some. I'm not going to name any specific names, but 
Adam and I have talked about this. We've seen certain local breweries that have said, you know, opened up with a stated ethos that have found themselves making a lot of hazies and pastry stouts and fruited kettle sours and, and, and stuff like that, which I'm not knocking the styles, but that wasn't what their ethos was when they started. But they learned very quickly that if we're going to survive, our ethos maybe needs to adjust. But how do you do that in an artful way, especially when you go all in on something like English styles? That's pretty, you know, I mean, I that's it's I'll like opening up. how to do it. OK, here's how you do it. Okay, yeah, you, Let's you hear it. close down for like a week and a half, two <laughs> weeks, rebrand, put up a sign that says under management. Just under leave out management? the word new. No, don't even put that on. <laughs> Just under management because people will automatically assume it's new management. Uh, right? Change the name, rebrand. There you go. That's I mean, how you I, would, do it. I would have taken a demotion, you know, uh, if you if you even if you need to put new management. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just yeah. under management. So, so to that, so, so actually to that point, um, we we had a we had a buyer lined up. Um, this is something I can't get into a lot of for legal reasons. Uh, it didn't work out, and in the end. Uh, it didn't work out in such a spectacularly shitty way that I was willing, I was personally willing to just go under than to deal with this person anymore. Um, there, another group came in. Um, they were known in the local beer community. Um, they were well-respected in the local beer community. They came in, they bought all of our equipment from the bank, basically. The bank took it back. They got it for a song. I mean, I'm talking literally pennies on the dollar. Uh, and they rebranded. They had all the same equipment. They, you know, they realized they had great equipment. They had a spot that they could make work if they rebranded. And they're doing much better. And I am very happy for them. I get people all the time like, oh, I bet you hate those guys. I'm like, why would I hate those guys? I mean, uh, you know, they they saw the potential in what we had, but also realized, like, you can't you can't make a living selling brown ales. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, it's like it's like. Though. It's like if you have a if you have a flat top grill and you have a charbroil grill and you have a deep fryer and you go from being a chicken place to being a hamburger place because hamburgers are what is selling. Like all the tools are there to be able to do that shit. You just have to pivot. But it you can't you can't just go from being a chicken place to a hamburger place without there being some other type of right. And you and you got to change your name from you know Sir Clucks a lot. To... Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it didn't work for IHOP either. So, <laughs> you mean the international International House of Burgers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. IHOP. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, there, there's obviously there's uh... there's a accidental muting of himself yeah, while he's talking. Sorry, I get it. <laughs> I said that there was a thousand, like you know, I, I'm sure little. Like microaggressions of bad decisions we made, uh, but really, <laughs> it came down to um, we chose a location that was not neighborhood friendly, so it wasn't easy to have a tap room that people could walk to and ride a bike to. Um, we chose to have beers that, while we love them, and while and, and people, I I generally I genuinely believe that like because I get talked to a lot by people in the industry. They liked our beers. We made good representations of the styles. They just weren't popular styles. And the third thing is, you know, we 
we didn't see the coming wave of competition until it was too late. Because when we went under, I mean, when we started, there were 21 breweries in the state. And when we went under, there were 180. And that's, I mean, unless you're making, you got to make a change. If, if, you're, if you're not already at the top of the hill, you better get there quick or you're just going to be at the bottom of it. The, kind of the analogy I always say when I talk about uh, you guys, Adam, is it's like you're really good classical musicians that sold your music on cassette tape. And so you didn't entirely under like capitalize on what people were listening to and the format they were listening to. Uh, but that doesn't mean you weren't great classical musicians. Just no one gives a shit about classical music and they're certainly not buying on cassette tape. Is that, is that a fair analogy? Yeah. And now I think I want to get one of those super large, like, um, uh, you, you know, like the, the cartoon record player that has like the big horn coming out. I want to, <laughs> now I'm going to chug a beer out of that. A photograph to drink it out of you could yes, drink it. Let's funnel it. Just take it off yeah. and bong it out of Just a phonograph. Beer bong a wall's end out of a phonograph. I think that's great. <laughs> and in, in Minnesota, wouldn't they have been a polka band? Not classical. No, because that would actually probably sell, especially yeah. in, especially in Northeast. I've seen plenty of polka bands in Northeast, so okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah and uh, you know, and and honestly, and I in no way blame you know our our struggles and our failures on this, but uh, I think if the state had been a little bit more helpful with how uh, we were able to sell our product, if I could sell a six sell out the door. If I could sell a six pack or a four pack of cans out the door, that would have made a huge difference too. And in fact, I was extremely disappointed in our uh, uh, legislative bodies here during COVID that they didn't allow that. I think, uh, you know, thankfully, like the PPP program, I personally, I know personally saved several breweries that I am still friends of the owners with. Mm -hmm. And if it hadn't have been for that program, they would have gone under. But man, being able to sell those those different types of off-sale uh, containers would have been a huge difference. Yeah. Well, for for a, a brewery that's making, I don't know if you want to call them specialty beers, but what, you know. Niche beers. Niche beers. That's a better yeah, word. Niche. Yeah. You know, that's the, those guys that come in for one or two will support you even further by taking, being able to take some home would have made a huge difference probably. For sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. 100% because we had like, uh, there's this type of Irish chance. I didn't mean to step on you there, Tim. Uh, no, no, there's this type ahead. of Irish, they call that the Morris dancers. And we had this really big space in our back. So in the winter, they'd have like 100, 150 of them to come and they practice in the back. They would drink while they're practicing. They'd have a pint or two over a few hours. They were, they were great friends of the brewery. We like were the official beer of the Scottish festival because of those guys. But if they could have all taken a six pack or even a case home, like the once a month that they came, I mean, I could have hired another salesperson. Yeah, it, it it's it's frustrating to to know that. You know, Aaron just recently visited Minnesota, and so he got a a taste of kind of how backwards some of our laws still are. And you know, I I've given tours to state legislators uh, at. At Badger Hill, I gave a tour to all the uh, all of the, like the freshman state legislators and talked about what was important to me. I don't know that, frankly, you know, it's not just about even blaming the state. Sometimes I, they've got they've come along to it more, but I even think that maybe the guild has not. I'm 
I got to be careful on what I'm saying. I want to be diplomatic, but I don't oh, know. I, I don't have to be diplomatic anymore. Uh, the guild is kind of split into uh, what's best for the largest of us in Minnesota. Uh, so in my opinion, and this might get me in trouble with old friends, but um, it's, <laughs> it's much like in, and I'm going to like, you know, show my pink Okami uh, streak here. <laughs> uh, you know, like the, the rich pit the middle class against the poor in this yeah. country really, really effectively. Um, the, I feel like the rich breweries have, have uh, the very large breweries that, you know, the, the, the very, very largest ones have, have, have turned the smallest breweries against the midsize ones. They're like, well, you don't want them to have this ability because you, you know, you wouldn't be able to sell that much. And, and, you know, the small guys always think that's, and that's the American dream. You always think you're going to be the biggest guy. Yeah. And so it's like this, the, the guild is almost unable now to, serve the needs of all the breweries because there's four distinct factions. There's the, you know, the largest, we'll say, we'll say 10 breweries. Uh, and then, you know, the guys that make the, do less than a thousand barrels and then everybody between like six and 15,000 barrels and then the brew pubs and they all have four different interests. And we used to be able to juggle it and it's, it's fine. I don't juggle it anymore very well. Yeah, no, I, yeah, you, you that said, of, was that of saying it and not getting you in trouble? Yeah, no, that was, that was perfect, Adam. I appreciate that. But that, that is one of the, one of the, the challenges is, you know, uh, just to be able to do those little things. And it is insane to me that it's not surprising to me that our legislators, uh, listen to the loudest and largest guys, right? Cause you know. I, you guys at Northgate didn't have money to 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 lobby any legislators, right? And so who who are they listening to? They're they're right. listening to they listen. Oh. We are like our state senator and our state uh, congressperson. They would listen to us, but nobody else. Yeah, yeah. And so that and that becomes that becomes uh, an added struggle there. Um, you know, like Adam said. You, or like Aaron said, you, you guys had niche. You were one of the few trying to do uh, a nitro can. But then again, uh, as much as I love nitro beer, that's <laughs> you, you, you took a, a style of beer that doesn't sell on draft as well and put it into a can that doesn't sell in that way either. Also uh, trying to teach people that you can just crack it and pour it. Like, you know, yeah. like you've got people like yeah. slowly. Pour. I'm like, no, it's a nitro beer. It's not going to do what you want it to do unless you just you, hold it You need down to get that it. nitrogen out of it. I promise yeah. you it will not go over the rim of the glass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, it, it certainly seems like a, like a, like you said, it wasn't any one thing necessarily. It was it was a whole host of decisions uh, to make this happen. I I wonder um, if you guys if you were to do it all over again, would you have would you have paired with a distribution partner like you did, or would you have tried a different distribution oh, method? That is a. Um... <laughs> while, uh, while you think about that i'm going to tack on because i was thinking about distribution yeah. too and that, do you think that that's a part of the reason because distribution lobby is probably pretty powerful they have money um extremely so, powerful in this so i mean keeping the little guys from selling it out their own doors and cutting the distributors out has got to be a, a powerful factor as well i would guess yeah, and it's not only um, the distributors, it's the wholesalers. So 
Minnesota is, um, and I don't know, I don't know, like how long you were here, Aaron. We also have a probably the highest per capita of mom and pop liquor stores of any place in the country, because um, the way the laws were written, you know, uh, grocery stores can't have beer, can't have wine, can't have liquor. Um, gas stations can't have anything but three two beer. Um, if you want to get liquor, if you want to get beer, if you want to get wine to go, it has to be a, um, you know, a, a liquor store. But up until very recently when like the targets and the cub and the grocery stores figured out how to get around it, uh, it was illegal for there to have, be a target to have a liquor store. So if you can't have a chain of them, you know, then there's no interest in it. So what you do have is this whole, uh, uh, every, uh, every small town, legislator has you know 12 small businesses that you know that swear that they're going to go under if the laws change and so they don't want the laws changed at all they don't want sunday sales to happen they don't want grocery stores to have it they don't want the laws to change because they've you know this liquor store has been in my family for four generations if you change the laws i'm going to go out of business well you're probably not unless you just refuse to change also uh, yeah i mean we literally have every neighboring state that is you know, a, a thousand data points that say that's not how that's going to work. But yeah, eight years ago, I still had to go across the border to Wisconsin to get beer on Sunday if I forgot to get it on football Sunday. And then the thing was, is I didn't buy Minnesota beer. I was like, oh, I can get Spotted Cow. I can get New Glarus because I'm in Wisconsin since I had to go to Wisconsin. So now not, not only am I not bringing that local tax money back to Minnesota, I'm not even bringing like the macro money back to Minnesota. It's going to, to New Richmond in Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many times Casanova and I would go over there on a Sunday because I forgot to go buy beer for the Super Bowl or for the Vikings game watch where the Casanova uh, parking lot was – 99 to 110% Minnesota plates. Yeah, it's not possible. 110% it's not possible. Well, no, it is because uh, it was a truck <laughs> and then it was a pull behind ice house. <laughs> all of Minnesota plate. That's was, true. Was Snowman sitting out there with a semi ready to take it back to, <laughs> back yes. to the Twin Cities? Yes. The, with the bandit leading it him? Went, it was a smoking in the bandit thing for sure. We actually, there was a bar in, in Maple Grove, Ma Maple Grove that got in trouble because they were driving over to Wisconsin and, and buying new Glarus uh, kegs from the liquor store and bringing it over and serving it in the restaurant. So it was a very smoky in the bandit type of thing. Only it was more like smoky in the dumbass who doesn't think he's going to get caught by flagrantly uh, breaking the law. And then, like, advertising, like, ah, New Glarus kegs for Packers-Vikings games. Like, oh, dude, don't put that in print. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's supposed to be an off-menu item. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing helps you conceal your crime like advertising your crime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or getting yourself a free Xbox, like sending it to the guy whose identity you stole. <laughs> Adam, I do want to go back to my question about uh, if you would have changed your distribution strategy or oh, yeah, yeah. or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, we, we kind of got tangential on that. So um, That's what we do around here. Yeah, yeah. I, I think <laughs> I would have – I I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with having a distributor. I think I would have listened to the advice of the guys at Surly and the guys at Fulton 
who, I mean, I sat down and had beers with them when I was thinking about doing this, and they explicitly said, like, Adam, do not sell your rights until you have to, because once you hit 20,000 barrels in Minnesota, you have to sell your rights. You're not allowed to keep, you're not allowed to self-distribute. Um, at the time, I mean, I'm getting this offer for a lot of zeros in that check, and I'm just like, I can, I can buy a new canning line, I can buy all these new fermenters, like, this is just gonna, you know, to the moon. Uh, that, you know, it's, it's hard when they're waving that big check in front of you to buy your rights. Uh, I think what I would have done is even before I needed to make that decision, I would have kept the brewery when we expanded into a more neighborhood focused spot because the, there's one brewery in this country that I think is extremely successful making the types of beers that we wanted to make and they do it in, um, as a neighborhood bar and they do it just amazingly well, uh, and it's Hogshead and, uh, in Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you've yeah. never been to, to Hogshead and you like English-style beers, you are next time you're in Denver, you should go. Um, but they, they're successful at it but because they focused on it. You know, they're in a neighborhood. They're in a nice, like, nice area where people can walk and people can bike. And also they're in Denver, and you can get beer to go easier. But uh, I think we wouldn't have sold our distribution rights because I think we would have made a different decision a year or two before that where we hadn't been so focused on distribution as our means to success. I I, I think that's a that's a, a smart way to look at it. I think I, I and I want to be clear when you get a good distribution partner, they are an ally. They are feet on the they are a their feet on the street that you can't be right. I that distributor rep is already going to be into those bars that you're you can't. You don't have enough salespeople to take take up what they have, and to have the relationships that they have, and to have the network that they have, and to have the already established. I'm already dropping off a keg of this and this and this this week, so why don't I add this keg to your order? The you know everything from assets and branding and they have an in-house sign shop for 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 pete's sake like that that was always amazing to be like oh you can just print me a a 20-foot banner for a festival i can't believe that that's amazing right like so they have all of these assets uh but then the flip side is is you know you sold your rights to that to that distributor and if there is another brand that's popping off um and so now they have another brand in their portfolio that they're more focused on. You can get lost easier, and then you don't – you lose your ability to be yep. able to, to do anything there. And so it yep. becomes a double-edged sword because you don't really have any power to hold them accountable to, to, to moving your product at that point. Yeah, and I found too that um, you know when we signed our distribution agreement, they had, they had signed several other breweries in the Twin Cities at the same time. Uh, they were an outstate. They were they're hugely successful outstate um, distributor that wanted into the Twin Cities game. Um, and so what I what I did find is um, all of the good things that they had that Tim mentioned, but also all of you know a lot of the struggles that that we had that they that Tim mentioned. And and one of them was um, we found that they would use my as Northgate's personal relationship with bars in town as an end to sell other. Uh, to sell their other products a lot more than we got to benefit from a rep's reputation in like a sub- exurban bar that we had no, you know, hold in. And I, I remember 
uh, there's a there's an and there's a bar in town called Merlin's Rest. And if there were hundreds of Merlin's Rest in this town, I'd, I'd be a very wealthy man. Uh, we sold a lot of product to Merlin's Rest. They have a huge whiskey uh, list and, and, and scotch list, and they 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 are a proper uh, pub. Uh, and they uh, they'd be like, Adam, why does your rep keep trying to sell me these other two brands? We buy. I sell three kegs a week of Wall's End. I don't need another brown ale. Why are they trying to sell me another brown ale? And I'm like, mm. I don't know why they're trying to do that to you because <laughs> they shouldn't be. But you know, we did find that that wasn't um, as reciprocal as I would have liked. Well, to, to be polite. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's a good way of putting that. But like like you said, don't especially within the cities, don't sell your rights until you have to. You know, some of the the breweries that have gotten smart and still. De- self-distributing within the city and then using distribution for out state uh i think is 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 a good play because you you don't want to yeah you you can't afford to have have someone going and visiting mankato and duluth and all of those things um even if you are distributing there but you know protecting your backyard kind of requires something unique and then seeing your brand get pulled off for another brand within that distributor's portfolio feels like you said, it's not nearly as reciprocal as you would hope. And I think the, the, the biggest downside to it, the single biggest downside to it is, um, it's Thursday night and, uh, you know, the bar manager ordered incorrectly the weekend before and they blew a keg at Friday, you know, at Thursday at five. And if you can get a keg there in the next hour, you'll keep the line for the weekend. But, you know, anybody in this business can tell you it's it's much harder to get a line back than it is to keep a line once you've won it. And so when you self-distribute, they call you at five o'clock on a Thursday. You will have a keg to them by 6.15 that night and you will you'll put it down the chute yourself and you'll follow it down. And you'll hook it up and you'll pull the empties away. You have a distributor. You're legally not allowed to do that. You're like you're like that's against the law for you to do that. And um, and it's it's frustrating when you have lost a line for a couple of weeks because you couldn't just do what you thought was your job, you know, right. selling the, beer. D- the distributor fucked you. Well, it's mean, not, a, it's not always their fault. It could just be like sometimes. the bar manager. Like he thought he had two kegs and he only had one when he was, you know, yeah. shaking his keg sort of thing. But yeah. again, he'd, I, he'd love to be able to call Adam directly up and say, Adam, I need one more keg of walls end. And so what Adam it for four years. <laughs> yeah. And so what Adam has to right. do is then hop on the horn to his distributor and say, Hey, can you run a keg of walls end over there? Whereas if he doesn't have that distributor partner, he goes, okay, I'm going to put it in my van and I'll see you in 10 minutes. Right. No, I get that part. Yeah. Yeah. It's distributors aren't, aren't as liable to go do those types of things. No, not at all. No, no. So that's the thing. They're, they're, they don't care about you individually. Like you said, because they're trying to sell another brown ale into, you know what I mean? They're, yeah. The sales guys are selling whatever they're incentivized to sell or think they can make the most money on. And the distributor just wants any product going in there. I Yeah, I used to always have this debate uh, with with Michael at Badger Hill because he was always like, if we're going to – I never run run out of our brands at our tap room. And I used to always say, I don't care if we run out of our brands at our tap room. I never want to run out of brands at our account. Because if I lose a trader line, they're not going to say, oh, well, that's fine. I'll take a hop hill. No, they're going to say, I'm going to go get some other IPA because I wanted an IPA on that line. Whereas if if a guest comes into my tap room and I don't have trader, 
they're still going to, A, they're going to order another one of my beers anyway, and B, they're probably going to come back. Whereas if I, like Adam said, once you lose that line, getting that line back is a very large hill to climb. And C, you can even spin that if they're going in for Trader IPA and that's what they wanted. You're like, man, we're just, we're just sold out. Like we got, you know, it's it's coming back. We'll have it in three days. It's in the bright tank now. Um, if they don't come back for it, they'll go to their local bar and be like, oh crap, Trader IPA is on tap. I wasn't gonna get that, but I couldn't get it at the tap room two days ago. Like, give me a Trader. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it, but it's a whole lot harder when that 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 beer buyer at that bar doesn't give a shit. He wants a local IPA on. He's not. Yep. He's not. He's not loyal to to your company he's trying to to sell a certain style a beer that fits a certain profile and he's going to, to trade it off to someone else and i mean because i you know frankly one lines that way by being able to provide a beer faster and and you know more reliably so yeah for me i'm always going to, to default to taking care of of the bar before the tap room but i think it is something that i think people have struggled to figure out how to do Okay, what what's next? Like, how how else can I ruin somebody's? Uh, <laughs> uh, <brewery? laughs> I, I don't I would, know. And I would I would say this like I would be very clear about this. Um, uh, the, the I would not have I would not change this experience for the world. Uh, I have made lifelong friends. I have been to people's weddings. I um, I, I mean, I see people in the neighborhood all of the time, and I have uh, it, it is it has overall been an extremely positive experience for me uh i am still very good friends with todd i was friends with todd before um I, you know we're i i was just a reference for him for another uh, job uh you know i still talk to my old staff all of the time um i you know went to bat for them as soon as i could help anything i could do to get them another another gig um you know our old head brewer is uh doing very well at a brewery in lake Minnetonka. my very first employee ever uh, is now the, the brewer at our old space in the, for the new brewery. So, oh, know, that's right. Yeah, yeah I, totally I don't forgot want that. Yeah, think, like I'm, I'm bitter. I had a bad experience. I had a, I had a wonderful experience. I I just with, with the with the benefit of hindsight, um, you know, maybe I'd still be in the industry. Maybe not though, because I might have had a heart attack. Because it is a stressful fucking job. I'm sorry. Can I cuss? <laughs> I've been doing it all night. Every, okay, okay. Nobody <laughs> listens to me. It's just like my wife. Nobody here listens to me. Nobody listens to me on the pod. I've been calling people twats and shit on the podcast, and he's like, "Can I cuss?" And we're an hour in. <laughs> uh, so with so with that, let's do this. Let's uh, let's go into our break. Um, I want to shout out all the other podcasts on the Tailgate Society, though. Um, Sports and Corks is back, I believe. Um, yeah. Stuff and Things, which they were going to rebrand. I don't know if they've settled on a new rebranded name, is coming back. It's an Iowa Hawkeyes podcast, so it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> but the guys are nice if you're into that kind of thing. Matt Nate Baseball is about to wrap up uh, the baseball season portion before they go to their off-season portion. Um, you know, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Culture check. O old old man strength. Oh it, yeah, that it... one. Old man strength. <laughs> yeah, that one. That one that Chris carries Tim on like I carry Tim on this one. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I'm just eye candy for radio. <laughs> eye candy for radio. There you go. That's right. Um, so please do check all of those people out. They're doing great things. Um, obviously, rate, review, subscribe, us. Um, hopefully you're hearing this on the Tailgate Society stream as well. Uh, apparently we had <laughs> an issue of not getting it put up there on some episodes recently. So... Um, we're going to get that fixed. Um, so if this is where you normally listen to us at, I'm sorry that for like the last four months it wasn't there as well, even though we've been saying it has been. Um, so, you know, that's on us, not not anybody else's fault. But uh, the last thing I'm going to do before we leave is I'm going to introduce the question so that he can think about it while we're on break. And And the question, Adam, is very simply the question we ask everyone. Um, you're opening a new tap room on a desert island, <laughs> <laughs> and you can only have three to five beers on tap. What do you absolutely have to have with you? And we will get your answer when we come back from this short commercial, maybe break. We'll be right back with more bitter units. Today's episode of Bitter Units is brought to you in part by the American Homebrewers Association. The AHA has a host of benefits for joining, including discounts at over 2,500 beer businesses like breweries, bars, restaurants, and homebrew supply shops in the U.S. and worldwide. You'll also get access to discounts on many brewing publications, award-winning homebrew recipes, and expert advice. Go to bitterunits.com to learn more. And we're back. Um, during the break, I was scarred for life and you just aren't going to know why, because we're not going to tell you. So you ever in Minneapolis, find just, Adam likes beer and buy him a beer and he'll tell you the story. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and speaking of Adam and liking beer before the break, we left you with the question. You've had ample time to think about it. So what do you got? All right, uh, I get three to five, right? Sure. Is it a desert island? Like I'm the only person on it? Like, like you're you're just there by yourself. Okay. Well, a pills first and foremost. And like, anyone? And maybe any... the hot celebrity of your choice will be nice to you. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, then a seltzer, I guess. <laughs> so, no, no, so... specific. We're talking specific beers. Yeah, uh, not just styles. Like, like which for ones? example, yeah. I would have Miller High Life. Okay. I, love uh, I would have Coors Banquet as my crushing beer. That's that's my ice fishing beer. Um, that's yeah, that's what I drink all winter when it's I'm on the a ice. Desert island. But it's, it serves the same purpose. <laughs> I'm going to be out <laughs> fishing. Yeah, I'm have it's 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 a barren wasteland either way, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's yeah. a volcano with snow on top, so yeah. That's okay. what so that's so we're going to go with uh, Coors Banquet for the first one. Um, man. Um, Augustiner Hellas oh. out of Munich. Uh, that is a beer, like the, the second I land in Germany, that's the first beer we get, and it's usually the last beer we get when we leave the area. Oh, that's like me and Casey's Pizza when I come back to the Midwest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exact same thing. Exactly. <laughs> need, all right, so I've got, I got a crushing beer. I got a sipping beer. Uh, I need a good West Coast IPA. Like, 
Man, there, I can't remember who it was recently in the Twin Cities. Somebody, somebody made like an old school, you could see through it IPA, and it was with a bunch of sea hops. And I was like, man, this tastes like a really good memory of like 10 years ago. Yeah, um, every time I get one of those, I just, <sighs> I, I long for those days for sure. Maybe just, gosh, just like a stone IPA, just like an old school stone IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, I need gotta have gotta have a porter of some kind for the winter. It's a desert island, but it still gets cold. Um, Chills cold at night for sure. Yeah, yeah, you gotta warm up a little bit. Um, gosh, man, I'll take a five one two pecan porter. Uh, yeah, out of Austin, uh, great brewery. All right, what do I got here? So I got a West Coast IPA, I got a Pecan Porter, I got I got a Hellas, and I got a Crushing Beer. Mm, what am I missing here? If I get a fifth one. Zima's still on the board there, Adam. Zima's still um, on the board. You don't have anything with an exploding can yet. <laughs> I mean, you know, screw up the Pecan Porter, that could explode. <laughs> Yeah, no, I need a, I need a pastry, hazy, berry-filled. Um, <laughs> uh, man, see, this is why I'm not in the industry anymore. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. I'm trying to think. Oh, I got I got the West Coast. I got South. I got Europe. Um, let's get to something Midwest to finish her off. Uh, probably a Fair State Vienna Lager. Okay. Yeah. So that it, that's that's uh I, I mean I I'd go first date pills or Vienna Lager, but I I don't think you can go wrong with either. I've already one. got I've already got the you know the Augustine or Hellas, so I figured I'm close enough to the pills that. Yeah, I know that's probably fair. Or if not the Vienna Lager, the Schwartz beer. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Which I love it when they rename their beers to like give them hype names out of a, like out of you know it's like a joke and I'm like. This this is this is your Schwartz beer, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, we might have to go to Fair State one time when I'm up, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, Adam talked about still having friends uh, in the industry, lifelong friends in the industry. Uh, those guys certainly uh, fit that bill. Uh, people who even used to work uh, at Northgate work part-time at, at fair state there's there's plenty of 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 overlap but that's a that's a good brewery they're right up the road from from where i'm at i've i've taken a bird scooter uh and only fallen off once on my way up or back from, <laughs> from fair state. well and now that gas tops is being turned into a daycare they're going to be one of the two places i'm going to have to do oktoberfest this year because as you know, I am a large fan of Oktoberfest, speaking of uh, being in Munich and drinking beers. Is that a good segue? Yeah. How was that segue? So is that that's, a, good? that's a good segue. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm I'm drinking out of a Gastov's Oktoberfest mug. So thank you, Adam, it's, for... It's a, it's a good segue, um, <laughs> but I'm going to ignore it and tell you about this idea that I had <laughs> of how you can make a ton of money. So Tim, the other day on, on Twitter and on our Slack, has had come up with an idea of him and his co-host from his other podcast uh, being followed around by a videographer and, uh, you know, doing a show. 
I think what you could do is do a brewery rescue, like bar rescue, and be the John Taffer guy. Shut it down! <laughs> and <laughs> tell everybody what they're doing wrong. You want to know how I know? Because I fucking made that mistake, you sons of bitches. <laughs> um, and uh, ratings gold. Everybody would watch it. I am not going to lie. Uh, one of my guilty pleasures while I'm crushing um, uh, Coors Banquet and uh, ice fishing in the winter is I will marathon the fuck out of Bar Rescue <laughs> on the ice. I'm just like, shut it down. I love it. I learned the best word ever. I'm going to tell you guys the best insult ever. And I learned it on Bar Rescue. And it's chooch. <laughs> like, like you fucking chooch. Which it sounds, sounds, it sounds awful. racist. It sounds, it, it sounds sexist. It's, it's, uh, it's short for the Italian word chuchio, which is basically like you dumbass or you jackass. Chuchio, chuchio <laughs> sounds like, hey, you chuchio. <laughs> yeah, it's me, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> so it's my favorite insult now because people get so upset and they tell what it is. You're like, well, that's, it that's sounds bad. It sounds vaguely racist and sexist, though. It like does. it could be either like, one of those. Somebody a dumbass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does. But man, I knew I pegged you as a bar rescue guy. I nailed that, hundred <laughs> yeah. um, percent. All right, so now back to the segue of October Fest beers, Munich, yada yada yada. That he said. <laughs> we have Can't, a beer. Captured it precisely, Aaron. Good job. It, it was perfect. We have a beer made by Summit Brewing Company. It is a Marzen style. Oktoberfest. Adam. <laughs> oh. Speaking of great oh. products that don't that don't have the right market for it. Oh. There is a company, there's a barbecue place, the and as a Texan, the best barbecue place in this town is closing at the end of September because people don't appreciate salt, pepper, and smoke. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's very that's, sad. That's, that's so we really wrap so, it up here. So Aaron, Aaron is Aaron has lived in in Texas. It's been nine well. years in Dallas. Okay, so I grew so, up in Dallas. Where were you in Dallas? I actually lived uh, in Little Elm for a little bit. Okay. Uh, and then uh, McKinney, basically the out, outside of McKinney, yeah, yeah, in between McKinney in in between McKinney and Princeton, okay. really. Yeah, I grew up in Wiley. Oh yeah, which is I like know, a, which is like a suburb of Plano. Yeah. All right. Tangential. Sorry about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, quit sidetracking us, you dumbass. Let's get back sorry. to the beer. So Summit Summit Oktoberfest. Mm-hmm. Adam, I'd ask for an Oktoberfest. So, select yeah. this beer. I love Oktoberfest. Uh, I've been to Munich twice. Uh, I love the styles of beer. Um, I love singing Sweet Caroline in a very large tent. Um, <laughs> love an Iowa State game. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. true. <laughs> uh, last year, the only like event I had on uh, uh, you know on this rooftop I'm on right now, uh, we made all of, we made like ten of our friends quarantine for two weeks uh, last September and had a I got a, a keg of uh, Fair State uh, Fest beer, and we had our own little Oktoberfest on the roof. Um, it's just a great time. Hey, if you have not been to Oktoberfest in Munich, you should go. It's a trip of a lifetime. Um, but I just like, it's my favorite seasonal beer. Um, it's it's a great style of beer. Um, uh, people do it a lot of different ways, but it's just like, 
as soon as it comes out, I'm like, all right, here it is. It's time to sit around a campfire. It's going to be a little bit cool at night. You know, it's, uh, you know, the nights are getting, you know, nights are getting a little longer. Days are getting a little shorter, but it's, you know, it's not, we're not quite, uh, it's not quite uh, snow weather, but it's not a pumpkin spice. And I used to make pumpkin spice beers. <laughs> he did. And as much as I hate pumpkin spice beers, his pumpkin spice beer was actually a, a, a really nice, more subtle, not so heavy handed uh, version of that because it was pumpkin spice, but it wasn't pumpkin. You weren't eating a, a just raw. You weren't just digging out a jack-o'-lantern and eating the innards. Uh, with that thing, it was more about the spice and the pulp? the fault. Yeah, yeah the, the, the pulp and cloves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pulp and cloves. I'm gonna make a pumpkin spice beer someday called Pulp and Cloves. <laughs> there you go, perfect. Uh, no, no, I really feel that like Oktoberfest beers. It's really funny because people get so angry. They're like, it's September and they're coming out with Oktoberfest. They're like, yeah, dog, that's when Oktoberfest is. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that's. That's one thing I wanted to talk a little bit about the style before we jump too far into it, Aaron. Uh, one, uh, so yeah, the Oktoberfest thing, because people like to freak out about, oh, it's too early for an Oktoberfest. I'm like, well, yeah, you know, actually, Oktoberfest in Munich ends the first weekend of October. Like, it happens all in September. Uh, you know, and remembering that this is about, like, you know, harvest time, not about like just the American idea of what October means. But then also Mertzen, the style means March. So traditionally this is brewed in March and aged in, in, in caves uh, over the summer. And so I, I don't know anyone who's actually making their Oktoberfest all the way back in March anymore, but the style is that it's meant to be slow lagered in caves from from before the before planting all the way, then to be enjoyed at harvest. I bet there's some dick hippie in Oregon that makes it in March. Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, or 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 you know, like you know, uh, Augustiner or Hofbrauhaus or you know, any of those guys in 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 Germany that probably have to by law. <laughs> yeah, actually, in, in Germany, yeah, certainly. But as far as like, I, I don't I don't know when someone's making theirs. I can't imagine they're making theirs in March. But but they are probably making theirs. You know, so Aaron and I talked about which ones uh, to kind of figure out, and this one uh, certainly readily available. But I also think a really nice example of the style. Um, That's a great example of style. Uh, I mean, uh, Shells also has one. I mean, obviously being a very old German family. Uh, uh, you know, for the Midwest, um, I really liked when Surly Fest switched from like you know, hop, punch you in the mouth, uh, fest style to like an actual Oktoberfest beer. Yeah. It was a nice surprise from them and it was good. I just, it, to me, it's like when Oktoberfest beers comes out, it's that to me is like the unofficial end of summer and mm -hmm. the, uh, unofficial beginning of, of autumn and, you know, celebrate your seasonal changes as those well, of us who have lived in Texas, you know, we only get two <laughs> hot and hell hot. and then the rest of the year hot <laughs> and hotter. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you went from Texas to Minnesota, where we also only have two, like, well, we have four seasons, just two of the seasons last for about five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the other thing I was going to say about this style is, for everyone that says it's too early for an Oktoberfest, I want to drink them in October. Uh, I can tell you from experience, if you have your brewery's Oktoberfest party in October, uh, it's too late. 
And I can tell you that on October 30th, uh, sales declined. And on November 1st, two days later, sales for an Oktoberfest drop completely off the cliff down to nothing. So if you're trying to brew something to be an to be a beer consumed in October, you're already behind unless you're brewing only five barrels of the damn thing. So you better be selling that at the end of August. So anyone who tells me that it's too early right now, I uh, I don't think you understand how beer sales work because you're going to have to you're not going to be able you're going to be sitting on 18,000 kegs of this in your warehouse on yeah. November 1st. And I think a lot of people don't understand that aren't in the industry. Obviously Tim, I know you know this because not only, you know, your your work in the beer industry, your previous life, uh, I mean, you knew what the sales cycles were for beers. I mean, you take these orders as a brewery. We have to get these orders from bars and uh, restaurants and, um, you know, off sale locations. We start getting like a pumpkin beer or a fall beer. We start taking those orders in July because to what Tim said, if you have a keg or a six pack of pumpkin beer or Oktoberfest beer on Halloween, you ain't selling that. You might as well take it home. So yeah. what you do, what you want to do is you have to talk to all these, make them pre-sell, make them pre-buy. And that way you know what you're getting. And also it's better for the bar and the liquor store because they know exactly what they have to do to push that. They want it early because they want it out their door in time as well. So I know that everybody gets gets upset with people in the industry. Like, why are why are you why are you selling pumpkin beers and you know the end of July, early August? Why is Oktoberfest out? You know, last week of August. It's you know because we would rather everybody involved would rather rather have it two weeks early than two days late. Yeah, exactly. I would always rather have you have my beer, you know, as fresh as possible rather than too old. And yeah, yeah. Th th so, that's um, yeah. That's the bottom line, nerds. So deal with it. Can we start? <laughs> I, I, my beer's getting warm. I'm, All right, you're Jesus. not letting I'll... me drink. All right. So, uh, Aaron or Adam, what we typically do? Sorry, Aaron knows what we typically do. No, Adam. Well, that's true. You don't pay attention. <laughs> Adam, what we typically do is we go through kind of that classic uh, appearance, aroma, taste, mouthfeel, finish type of thing. We don't get super nerdy or complex about it, but I do like to at least ask Aaron what he's seen when he looks at the thing, what he's smelling, what how what it tastes like, what the mouthfeel is, what the finish is, type of thing. Uh, so let's start off with the parents. Uh, yeah, Adam is just drinking his straight out of a can, so he can tell you that it looks like a can. Uh <laughs> um, so I would I would say it is uh, clear. Yeah. Um, a dark copper color. Um, when I first poured it, I had a decent head on it. I poured it fairly aggressively. Um, you know, I had half an inch, give or take. Um, we've been talking for 25 minutes while it's been sitting in my glass. So the head is basically Why uh, dissipated. More, please. I should... I should probably know better by now, but I don't. I mean, Tim probably should have warned you before I came on, too. It's, it's okay. <laughs> I should know better. This is this is what we do all the time. So um, lacing is, is pretty good on my glass. Um, like I said, the head is still around the edges, so it's not completely gone. It's not like it completely disappeared. Overall, a very pretty-looking beer. I really love the – I mean, I love the color of this style, but I think 
summits is actually one of the prettier uh ones because like you said kind of that deep copper hue it's like just um, bordering on orange almost yeah mm-hmm. right right yeah i think if you didn't i mean it could trick you into saying pumpkin maybe colored um but you know if you weren't but i, I mean i think a person should be that color you know yeah, yeah like, right it's perfect yeah it, it's the color of fall. It's like it's the color of fall. Yes. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. All right. All right. So give it a give it a little sniff, Aaron. Let me know what you, what you're smelling. I'll be curious to see what Adam says about this as well. I don't have a very good sniffer right now to be honest with you. Um, all right. All right, JT. I know it's almost JT levels, but I got a CPAP about 4 days ago and just got a little bit of uh you know I mean, Adjusted better going on because of the CPAP and not because of the Rona. Yeah. So. No, he sent me pictures of him with the CPAP. I, it looked like a. It's a, pretty amusing. It looked like a, an involved type of scuba diving type of thing. I mean, uh, it's. I, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting device, but. <laughs> um, it, it, I want to say it kind of smells like a lager. To me. Uh, I get which is, the which is good because that's what it is. It is yeah, I know, but I mean, it's just. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just trying to expand on it. I don't think I'm getting anything really subtle, and I think that's in part because I'm having to take just giant sniffs sure. to get that. But, but, but just like you know, very light, light, light clean, bready, yeah. malty, not estery. Right. Okay. Okay. Sure. I, I think Adam. Anything you want to add on on there? Uh, do you want to uh, unmute yourself before you actually yeah, add anything? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, <laughs> no, it does. It does. It, I would say that the nose is a little bit lighter than I would like. Um, it's a mm-hmm. little bit more muted. Again, I'm drinking it from a can. I'm trying to like get my nose down in there, so that could, you know, that could also just be because I didn't bring a cup up here. But um, I do feel like you I, generally, I'd like to, you know, get a little bit more of that that nose out of it because because usually you're, you should be drinking it from a big mug and. You know, you get that overwhelming scent of it. Something you can get your whole face in. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, then let's jump in, taste, smell, feel, and finish, Aaron. I'm going to use my, my guest of Oktoberfest Stein and drink it. It's got Ooh. that bready sweetness. It's um, I, it's right. kind of like lingers on the back outside of the tongue. Yeah, right. I mean, it's definitely really bready, mm-hmm. uh, which I really like. Sometimes I think some Oktoberfest lean more just towards sweetness and not as bready. You know what I mean? Like it's almost it almost seems like it's just like an under attenuated rather than like good bready malt. Yeah, and I don't get any under attenuation out of this at all. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, because it's sweet, but it's not cloying in the least. No, not, not, not at all. At all. Bready is a good term, and I'm trying to think. It really strikes me as almost a specific, like a pumpernickel type of type of bread. Yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and even some of the the I don't know what you want to say. Maybe uh, some of the really airy breads that have a bit of sweetness in them, like a ciabatta or something, or you get the bready aspect of it, but to also get that little bit of sweetness at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. 
which is nice. Um, good tingle on the front of the tongue. Again, like you said, as it goes back, it's sweet but not cloying. Um, yeah, I mean, finishes dry-ish. I mean, not yeah, super. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree on that. Not, yeah. Not, uh, you know, not super dry. It's not going to dry you out, but you definitely, it's just enough that you, well, I like, I could house the rest of this beer pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Just like because would, like, you, it makes you want to take another drink, but not, not completely parch you. I would, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a crispy boy, but it. Oh, wait, 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 wait. What's this? <laughs> oh, it's the crispy boys. Uh, <laughs> but no, it, it has a nice uh, finish that lingers enough that you still you still get that readiness at the end. You're still tasting it. You don't need to go right back in for that second drink, but at the same time, you could you could have several of these while e- eating some some uh, some sausage and and. That's the thing. I think it's dry enough to help you cut the fat on say a salami or something like that, you know, in between bites and stuff, you'd sip on this and it would help cut some of that. Cause it is dry enough to help with that, but not, not crazy. It's sweet you know? enough to play with like a mustard. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like a, it's a meaty lager, you know, it's, it's like a lager that's just, it's got, a, it's just got a little bit to it, a little bit more than, you know, you know, like a, you know, a Hellas style or a barbarian style lager. Put a, or yeah. Bob, I'm sorry, Bohemian style lager, not Bavarian. Put a, put a reduction glaze on my bratwurst with sauerkraut <laughs> and mustard. Let's call uh, it. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, two more weeks. Two more weeks. Yeah, two more weeks till the first one. It 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 does it does make me want to go listen to some polka and uh, uh, and hug my friends aggressively. Uh, oh, I should have my leader hosen tonight. Right. Uh, <laughs> Do you do you have a snuff board, Adam? I do, uh, I do not have a snuff board. We're out of the snuff we brought back from Munich last time because we couldn't go back last year. Uh, it was really great because it was um, like peppermint snuff, so oh. it just looked like we were just ripping bumps of cocaine all night. Peppermint <laughs> 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 powder. <laughs> so, so and it gets in your beard. It just it looks it looks awful. But I'm like, no, no, it's snuff. It's fine. <laughs> you want a so- bump? Yeah, Aaron, have, have you done snuff at a proper uh, no German beer house? No. Uh, so you know they have different ways of doing this, but like at at Gastov's in particular, I mean it's like a spring loaded, or it was. Uh, how would you describe it? It's a spring loaded thing that shoots. So okay, so it's uh, imagine like a really nice wooden um, incense holder. You know that like like you got like the board that goes up a little. It's kind of like that, except instead of holding snuff, it or instead of holding the 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 stick for incense, it holds snuff and then it just shoots it up your your nose. You you put two little piles for each nostril, and it's like it's like the rubber band shooter wooden gun that your grandpa made for you combined with an incense holder. Um, and I then you just sneeze brown snot for the next two days. Yeah. Um. Uh. Unless you get the peppermint one, and then you <laughs> white powder for the next two days. It was um, funny, like 
that first time we we brought some back from the the, the first time we went and we we're like this is amazing. We brought some back and the like we went to an Oktoberfest party here in town. I think it was at Gastaz the next weekend because we had just bought I just had fresh leader hose in. My wife had a like a brand new Durndal. And uh, we started doing that, and the security guard's like, what is – you can't do this. I'm like, no, it's peppermint. Look, I have a case. It's fine. Now, <laughs> if I ever wanted to get away with just, like, snorting rails of cocaine at a party, I'd be like, no, no, it's peppermint schnapps or uh, snuff. Here, I got the thing for it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, Aaron, I don't do that anymore, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, at some point we'll have to we'll have to it, guest office no longer thing. We can go down to Des Moines and do Hessen House. They they still I've, do I've been down to Hessen House multiple times, but I've uh, never done that. Oh, so, they do, they do that proper at Hessen House. You you've been down to Des Moines, Adam. Oh yeah, you? yeah. Uh, what's the uh, the the place that sounds like it should be a Mexican restaurant, but it's just a really great craft beer bar? El Bait Shop. El Bait Shop. Yeah. Yeah, so El Bait Shop and then High Life Lounge on the other side. Well, not too far down the road from El Bait Shop is Hessen House, which is a pretty proper uh, German mm-hmm. beer bar. Um, it's yeah. not, I wouldn't call it Gastoff's quality, um, but they also probably have not uh, gotten into trouble for some questionable reenactments that have happened. <laughs> you know, it's a daycare now, so all those days are behind them. They, they do have boots and stuff at Hessen House. And, yeah, you know. yeah, you can do a boot. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. There is, exactly. now, just so you know, Tim, um, and I know you're a biker as well, after the Fulton Grand Fondo this year, Gastov's is hosting their Oktoberfest in the Fulton Production Brewery parking lot. I saw that. Yeah, I'm gonna have to ride. I, I saw that. I'm gonna have to ride my bike up there. I was thinking, like, that makes sense because it's the it's basically the closest place to do that for them anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah. my wife is is going to ride the hundred miles on a bike, and well, then that's, I that's because go- that's because you're 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 beautiful, intelligent, charming wife. Breadwinner. Is- Don't forget breadwinner. Oh yeah. Also yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So yes. You're more successful, oh, also, you're more attractive, you're smarter, like this, everything this, about her. Like, honestly, she's way too good for you. Yeah, this is the thing I need to say to anybody that's going to get in the brewing industry. And this is really important. Marry somebody who makes a lot more money than you do. It makes it a lot easier. I don't know how many, how many brewery owners in this town have wives in the medical industry or who are lawyers. <laughs> it is it, insane. It, it, it's Absolutely what you need to do. That is very, very good advice. Because you ain't going to make no money when you sit for the first three or four years. Yeah, 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 even if then. But uh, yes, no, your your wife who is very beautiful, charming, funny, smart, successful. Yeah, she's taken, Tim. She, the only real <laughs> things that I would question. Well, yeah, I, well, you, you can see me. Uh the only real things that I question is a her taste because she's married to you, um, but then b she's going to ride her bike a hundred miles uh, on the Grand Fondo. Um, I like riding my bike a lot. You've never done a hundred mile day. Uh, I don't know that I've ever done a hundred mile day, but I certainly don't want to do a hundred mile day when I want to be able to to get proper drunk afterwards. Well, that's what you have a support vehicle for. <laughs> to put your bike in the trunk. Well, this isn't when ra- you're done. Grand Fondo isn't Ragbri, so yeah. Um, 
No, I, I think that'll be good. So you're not riding your bike, though, Adam. Dude, I don't even have a bike. <laughs> I got my bicycling merit badge in Boy Scouts, and I was like, I'm out. <laughs> well, you can't ride a scooter, so you're just going to walk up to, to the... I the, mean, uh, it's only... Quit rubbing it in, Tim. He like just 15, lost his scooter of nine years. It's it's, uh, it's, a, it's only like 15 blocks. Also, I have these special Adidases that are made in Germany that are a special Oktoberfest Adidas, and I only get to wear them like two days a year. So, yeah, I'm going to strut, strut my stuff in those. You could, you could, you could ride a bird really scooter like up there. <laughs> you really like Oktoberfest. Really have you like noticed it. that Adam is pro-Oktoberfest? <laughs> I had to have my buddy in Munich buy these shoes for me because they only sell them from to like people to like people in Germany. If you have like a non-German IP address, they wouldn't allow you to buy them. So I had to pay a friend in Munich to buy them for me. They don't actually fit, but it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> the European sizes are not the same as American ones. No, 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 they are not. I've I've purchased shoes off of the Wish app, and and I will tell you that the Chinese interpretation of European interpretation of U.S. sizes does not match either. Um, well, Aaron's over there yawning. It might be the CPAP machine, or just our banter is like winding down. Nah, screw <laughs> screw them. Oh, I'm an old man too, so you know. Well, you well, got any final questions on how to how to not be successful at brewing? I don't think so. I can't think of anything. Is there is there any final kind of words of wisdom that you'd like to offer up, Adam? Um, don't do it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> it, it, no, but seriously, don't do it. Uh, I, I would say I would say that the best piece of advice I ever gave myself because it ended up coming true is make sure that you're you're you are able mentally and financially able to fail at this because you don't and, and and i wouldn't say that's not just for opening a brewery that's for opening any new business you know you mm. might fail and and that's okay like this whole country is founded on uh, entrepreneurs that tried and failed and maybe got really successful the second or third time um that's you know and that that's that's why uh <laughs> bankruptcy is the weird thing in our it's a constitutional thing in this country like this whole country is built on the fact that if you are a you're going to start a business and you might not make it like that shouldn't be the end of your life and, and it won't be, but just, you know, um, don't, don't do it on a lark though. Like not, not volunteer. You should never, you should be paid for your work, but you know, go work at a brewery, you know, go apprentice at a brewery, go, um, you know, try to do an internship, do some shadowing, talk to people in the industry, you know, find not just people who are successful, find <laughs> Find, find failure losers like me. <laughs> uh, Tony, a video, videography, online web show. I'll, I'll let up. you know. We'll we, hook uh, you up with First We Feast. They need a, a beer show or something, right? You know? oh, man. Can we get those guys? I love First We Feast. Can we get those oh, guys? If, like, <laughs> only if it wasn't night, I, I mean, we, the 17 pots I've got growing in my on the other side of my roof. We've, we've got a huge, huge, huge following, I'm sure, with them. I mean, um, yeah, yeah, uh -huh. it's, 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 it's great. Uh, beer, beer is a fantastic <laughs> social thing. Um, and I love it. I, I've made, like I said, lifelong friends and I wouldn't change it for the world, but you know, don't, don't go into it thinking that you're going to be the next stone or you're going to be the next Boston beer or you're even going to be the next, um, you know, new Glarus. 
because it's not 1996 anymore. It's not even 2006, and it's not even 2016 anymore. Um, there's there's a lot of smart people out there, and there's a lot of markets that have uh, kind of been cornered. But there's a lot. I'm sure there's some that aren't, and I'm sure that there's a next great beer trend that nobody even knows is around yet. And you hit that, and you hit it hard. Who knows? Maybe you can buy me a beer someday. Milkshake English brown ales. I, you know, that doesn't sound awful when you say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> you get a little bit of that raisin flavor from the Crystal 90 malt. Oh, and... <laughs> yeah. No, you you're... lost me at raisin. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, it, like, is there, a, you don't have anything to plug, but you want, you want people to come harass you on, on the internets or anything? I mean, I'm not that harassable, but uh, my name is Adam, and I do like beer, so if you want to find me, you can. Um, yeah, well, you know. That's a hint, people. Yeah. <laughs> as, as, the great, uh, as the great duo Wild Stallions said, be excellent to each other. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's really, really strong words right there to end on for you. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been a lot of fun. Um, Tim, do you have anything uh, that you want to add before we close this out? Uh, no, I, I think I'm good for once. Okay. That's, that's first. Tim admitting he's good. First time for everything. So, yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not good, but I, I don't have anything to add. Oh, well, see, now you went and ruined it. <laughs> I was going to give it to you today. I'm just feeling very benevolent and I was going to let you have that one, but now I'm not. So, well, X going to give it to you. So X going to give it to us on Saturday when Xavier Hutchinson runs wild all over you and I shameless Iowa state plug uh, for football. So Seriously, are they like pack 12? Like what are they in now? <laughs> hey, did you know that I hate our guest? <laughs> And oh, my work here is done. Oh, wait, uh, he's still listening. I'm sorry. I thought he was gone. Sorry. <laughs> my bad. He leaned back into the darkness of shadows, and I thought he was gone. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's it for this episode of Bitter Units. Um, again, please check out the Tailgate Society. Lots of new writing. Some really good, speaking of football, it's that time of year, really good articles just released on you know the future of the Big 12 and uh the comparison of the big 12 and the the old big east if you're into football and that kind of stuff it's it's some interesting thought provoking stuff in those couple articles that have just come out and there'll be more so check it out tailgatesociety.com you can find us at bitterunits.com um send us an email give us suggestions i believe we're still o for every episode on getting any kind of email or feedback from you people um which is, is sort of impressive at this point um, but I'd like to break that trend. So shoot us an email at betterunits.com. You can find a link there. Um, you can find Tim on Twitter at Tim Johnson MN, as in Minnesota, Tim Johnson MN. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron L. Wall. Uh, you can find JT, who again wasn't with us today, obviously, uh, at JT the Nut on Twitter. And find us at Bitter Units on all the major podcasts networks 
Uh, you just type in bitter units, hit search. You'll find us. It looks like a beer mug with BU on it. If you can't find it, email us. We'll tell you how to get there. Rate, review, subscribe. So that someday, maybe we can make some money to buy at least one case of beer. I'm not asking for much. One case <laughs> of beer. If I get enough listeners to be able to get somebody to pay me at least once. It'd be great. Super awesome. See you next time.